Welcome to The Grid. I'm your host, Scott Hymas, Chief Marketing Officer at SendGrid. Every few weeks, I host employees, customers, or industry thought leaders here on The Grid to dig into email, communication strategies, the tech industries, and how to scale your business. Welcome to The Grid. This is Scott Hymas, the CMO at SendGrid, and I'm here with Bill Masitis from Masitis Advisors. Um, Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. We're here at the SaaS Stock Conference in Dublin, Ireland, and um, it's full of SaaS companies in Europe. A lot of energy here. It's pretty cool. Yeah, awesome events so far. It's been great to see so many other SaaS and cloud companies. Well, we just uh, saw you speak on the stage. You did a phenomenal job, and uh, it's great to get you afterwards and kind of talk a little bit about you know, SaaS and marketing and some of the things that you've seen in your career. You've had quite the career, uh, Salesforce, Zendesk, Slack. You kind of rode the SaaS uh, roller coaster up a little bit. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's been an amazing ride. You know, and one of the things that's been kind of interesting is, you know, when I joined Salesforce, SaaS was not even really a thing. It was just starting out, right? And the world was on-prem and people were like, what, you can put customer data in the cloud? What even is that? Um, and I think we take it for granted now in the SaaS space that everyone just believes in it and trusts it, but there was a lot of hard work there, I think, in building that trust. And that was something that I really learned from Mark was that people don't buy features and functions. When Mark would go out there, we were not selling sales automation and lead forecasting. We were selling this movement of the end of software. And we used the little Ghostbuster logo yeah, and yeah. you know, Mark was a great speaker, but it was really about understanding that, you know, to, to get into SaaS, you have to have a movement. Um, and, and I think now companies all over the world are realizing the benefits of it, right? You can deploy it instantly. There's no massive you know, on-prem costs or maintenance fees. You have rapid iteration. You're always getting best of breed, one single application. Um, but it took a long while to get there. And you know, it's just been a joy to work with Salesforce, Zendesk, Slack. I mean, all these companies that are changing the world, hopefully for the better. Um, it's something that I've just had a, a great joy being a part of. Yeah. And in each of those roles, you essentially led the marketing function, right? Helping to drive growth. And um, you know, you, you've learned a, a number of key things as you went along the way, which you kind of referenced in the speech that you just gave here at Sastock. Let's talk a, lot, a few about some of those. So like customer centricity yeah. was one of the number one elements yeah. that you talked about. What does that mean to you? What does customer centricity really evolve into? Um, you know, I'm really passionate about being customer centric, customer focused. I feel like a lot of companies give lip service to it and say, we're about the customer, but they aren't organized around the customer. Their metrics aren't around the customer. Uh, they don't even mention the customer often. And for me, it was just kind of this belief that, you know, kind of going into B2B, I spent the first half of my career in B2C, and I went to B2B, Salesforce kind of brought me in, and I was kind of shocked at a lot of the go-to-market strategies being used. It felt like it was coming off a 30-year-old, dusty B2B playbook, run press releases, run events, you know, steak dinners for the CIO, and hopefully you know, sell a really large contract. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, there is nothing really about that customer, that buyer path, that journey. And you know, when I thought about it more, you know, I came to the conclusion that the brand isn't your logo or your slogan. The brand is the sum of every single touch point you have with the company. And in many cases, the touch points are actually with the marketing team, the sales team, the support team, the success team. Those are usually when you're actually dealing with someone. It's where the customer and, is, right? Yeah. The touch points. And, and a lot of those teams are historically metriced off of things like, 
I want to sell as much as I possibly can. And I want to oversell you and overpromise on features. And if you're in marketing, I want to get as many leads as I can, which means I'm going to put a paywall behind every single piece of content. I'm going to make you fill out 18 fields. You know, you're going to get called before you're ready. When you actually start using the product, you have to pay for success. You know, you want support. It's been outsourced. It takes you seven days to even find the email address. Um, it's just we were optimizing around, I thought, all the wrong metrics. And so I just thought there was an opportunity for B2B to really innovate around that model, rethink like what a modern day go-to-market motion looks like. How can you inspire it to where you get this great customer centricity and you get the benefits, all this amazing organic word of mouth, people recommending you. And so we did a lot of things um, at both Zendesk, Slack, to try to rally around that idea of customer centricity, um, using Net Promoter Score, using customer satisfaction, incentivizing teams by different areas. So NPS is such a common tool these yep. days, right? Everybody uses it. But not everybody uses it to create action, yep. to actually change what's happening inside the business to improve it. What were some of the tips and techniques yep. that you might recommend as you yeah. went along? Uh, I'm a huge NPS fan, so Net Promoter Score, how likely you to recommend Slack to friend or colleague, uh, one to 10. Uh, there's a couple things I love about NPS. One, first off, you can actually benchmark it with other companies. It is not some proprietary um, survey, some unique question. It's a simple, it's one question. You're not setting your, you know, knowing your customers with a thousand question survey that only your power users are gonna feel. Um, so the first lesson that I tried to do was, A, send it to everybody. Don't send it to like a 2% sample. You wanna know, you know, what is your NPS score across different segments? The SMB, your mid-market enterprise, how does it differ? Um, you want to get actionable insight. You know, I always say a big one is like, you can compile the results, you can find out what are the top three reasons people recommend your company. Right. That's great for helping you shape your messaging, your positioning. It's great to help you understand what products, your functionality you should be building out. Or where you should work on. Yeah, what you should work on. You know, I, I was mentioning at the, the conference, you know, one of the really interesting things we found at Zendesk when we ran the detractors was that people didn't want all these advanced features that we were building at the time. They wanted simple stuff. They just wanted the pages to load faster. They wanted basic search to work better. You know, it really made us reshift our focus. Um, even going beyond that, I think what we would do, like at Slack, for instance, is we would tag people. So anytime an NPS result would come in, we'd automatically send it into Slack, and if it was an account that an AE was working on, they would get tagged. So they could go in and see real-time feedback as it happened. Um, we could understand who are the champions within organizations. A lot of times SaaS companies would do a bottoms-up sales motion. You may have 50 people in a company that use your product, but maybe there's one super champion that gave you an MPS 10 out of 10 says, oh my God, I love you guys, you're incredible. Like, what, what can I do to help out? Great, you know, we'd love some intros to, you know, maybe some, some other departments within the organization. Oh, you know, we have this meeting with uh, procurement and IT. Would you mind kind of joining the call to kind of be, you know, a champion on your side? Oh, sure, yeah. Do you guys, like, can, I, can I give you a testimonial? Do you need anything? Like, these are great, right? And, and you just take that extra step to mine the data. You know, if you're kind of a self-service model, when we were at Zendesk, people, if you scored a 10, we'd ask you, like, hey, you know, thank you so much for the support. Would you mind writing a quick review for us on Trust Radius or one of the B2B app sites? Um, and even the detractors, a lot of times, you know, they're gonna say something, maybe it's a feature that they want you already have. I mean, that's a very common scenario in big B2B SaaS programs is they ask for something, they just don't know you have it, or maybe they have a problem, right? I think one of the things I really like about MPS is it's proactive, it's not reactive. Right. You don't wait for someone to be, I'm pissed, I'm not using you again, I'm out of here, right? You ask, hey, how are things going? It's basically a check-in, right? Now that does cause, 
you know, some organizational process change, you do have to think about, all right, well, how are we going to route all this feedback? And someone's got to look at it and someone's got to respond to it. And it forces you to be proactive, but it provides incredible insight. And I'm, I'm a huge fan behind it. Yeah. So am I. One of the things that you're known for in the market is extending brand investments around a tech company, particularly one that's maybe B2B in nature, right? And really seeing that payoff. You've done that well at Slack. You do that well at Zendesk. Tell, tell us about you know some of the logic behind that. When, yeah. you know, you've, you've obviously proven that uh, investing in a brand campaign to drive awareness in the market drives value for the business. Talk about that a little bit. So a little bit of the background on it. Um, as we talked about, I've always been a, a firm believer in this idea of like customer centricity. It's around the experience someone has with your brand. And these are all these little touch points. And again, if you think about the traditional B2B ad, it's kind of annoying actually. It's like a used car salesman, come in today, 30% off, free trial, click here, right? Um, there's not a lot of value you derive from it. You know, it, There's not really an emotional connection to it. And you know, at the same time, I've always been very data-driven. And I started diving into the attribution modeling at Salesforce. Um, and what we saw was that people didn't see your brand the first time they heard about it and sign up tomorrow, especially in B2B, especially as you move more up, up market. It's gonna take three, six months, our data was showing, from someone first heard about us to they sign up for a lead, and then another six months before they sign up for a customer. That's 12 months of interactions, impressions, that you wanna nurture people along, educate them, inspire them develop an affinity towards your brand, your company, who you stand for. And I just thought lead gen ads have a place, but lead gen is short-term leads. Brand is long-term leads. And they can work together, but I wanted to develop a deeper affinity um, with these prospects, with these customers so they know us. So, you know, a lot of people think brand, oh, you can't measure that. It's just, you know, can you put a good spin on it? But I would argue, no, you can. There's great metrics. There's Aided recall, unaided recall, sentiment, sure voice, sure conversation, great ones. And, you know, really simple aided recall, just ask people, hey, for team communication software, which of the following companies are you aware of? Slack, HipChat, Yammer, Google, dot, 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 right? And then you start to get an understanding of what the reality is. And I know when I started at Slack, hey, everybody in San Francisco knew us. We expanded that pie a little bit to U.S. rest of the world. That aided awareness dropped tremendously. Right. You know, you live in a bubble. We all live in bubbles for our product. We think everybody knows us. And so we started really thinking about it, like, hey, if, could we run these brand campaigns? How much could we incrementally improve our awareness? And we were very methodical and quantitative about it. We would model out, here's our exact aided awareness. Here's where it's growing at. We'd run a campaign. We'd see exactly what the lift was. We got it down to, you know, hey, for a point of awareness, here's how much it's going to cost us. Here's how much it's going to improve our sentiment. We would do things like measure, um, run campaigns in very specific geos. So like cities like Denver, Austin, and Seattle, see how that compared to similar cities that did not see the lift. Um, we can measure both on all the CAC payback, leads, ACV, but also on these brand metrics. Um, we would do things like even optional sign-up surveys, really easy, right? Hey, where did you hear about us? Um, did you hear about us? Did you see us on TV? Did you see a word of mouth on the press? All these things allowed us just to get much more confidence on, hey, these brand campaigns do work. We can see us as scaling the business. It gave confidence to the board. It gave confidence to us as a marketing team, as a leadership team, and allowed us to really focus on that long-term brand. 
How often would you survey unaided brand awareness, for example? We would do a monthly cadence. So we use SurveyMonkey, there's other tools out there. The great thing is like, in the past, getting aided awareness studies was really expensive. I mean, you literally have to hire people, sit at airports, find a decision maker, barrage them with questions. You know, SurveyMonkey has like a 30 million panel now. Yeah. So you can pretty much go in there and say, hey, I'm selling to IT, or I'm selling to customer support, this level, they'll send the survey out. You know, I like short surveys, quick, and then you can get that answers. And again, not just for yourself, you get your competitors' data too. You understand what is their awareness, what is the sentiment towards these companies. And that can be a great one too to spur action within the company. It's like, hey guys, we might be getting our, you know, our asses kicked right now by this company. Like, we gotta start thinking about this and getting out of the short-term mindset of my next week's leads to, let's yeah. think about the long-term and how are we gonna grow and scale efficiently. So, you know, as a, as a CMO myself, I totally understand that investment in brand, we do that all the time too. You've made some big investments though, yeah. right? Million dollar TV spots and whatever. Yeah. So first of all, how, how difficult was it to sell that? <laughs> and second, you know. Hey, we're marketing, we sell, right? That's what we do, we're good storytellers. Um, it is difficult, you know. It, it, I think a lot of things have to come in, in line. Like first, you have to have a board that's thinking about the long term. They have to believe in this category, they have to believe that you know, we're in this for the next decade, two decades. You know, in the case of Slack, you know, I felt that, look, people have shifted from email to messaging. That trend's already played out on the consumer side. There are more accounts on messaging services than there are on social networks between WeChat, Facebook Messenger, you know, Google. There's just a ton there. And it's just starting on the B2B side. We felt that trend was going to play out. Um, we wanted people on the board that were long-term thinkers. They were. Also, Stuart and myself both, again, believed in the long run, right? We weren't we were growing at a rate that we said, all right, we feel good about our growth, but how can we even accelerate that further? And I think, you know, Slack was the fastest ever at 100 million, fastest to 200 million. And we wanted, we were just constantly thinking about that long-term brand. So, you know, it does take a lot of evangelism. You have to think about it. You know, these ads, brand ads are not easy. You know, you have to work with agencies in-house. They take dollars to make, you know, national campaigns are expensive, but you can, you can, you can take it down a level. You can do a lot of times you can just do a specific city, yep. saturated online, offline. A lot of times people think brand too, it just means what's well, an offline TV ad. That's not the case. We did a lot of our brand was on, on YouTube. We did a lot of podcast sponsorships. We did a lot of different ways that we infused brand in there. And then of course you have to measure it, right? You have to give the board the confidence that look, we know what our natural growth rate is. We've seen how it spiked. We can get it down both from a lead perspective and from a brand lift perspective. Um, and that gives confidence to grow the business in the long run. Well, you've, uh, you've shifted a little bit in your personal yeah. career, right? You've yeah. moved into an advisor role. And so tell us about that a little bit. You're, yeah. What, what kind of companies so, are you working You know, I had done about 20 years as an operator, you know, like half on B2C, happy to be. I had about five exits. So just at a point where I was like, all right, I want to have a new chapter, try something out. Uh, as we were talking about earlier, I had a little technical debt to pay off with the family as far as not seeing them much. <laughs> so this does uh, allow me a little bit of flexibility. So it's something I can still stay involved in SaaS companies, helping them grow, helping them scale. Um, I work with about seven or eight different companies right now. Uh, what we'll do is I'll go in, I'll really look at like what is their go-to-market strategy right now, what are the marketing tactics, program spend, really optimize that into a modern marketing machine. 
I'll help them out with organizational design, uh, recruiting, hiring, and just as like as a trusted partner who's kind of seen the hyper growth for a lot of companies and, and some of the secrets that helped achieve that. Um, I love it because for a long time I've only been working on one company, so this is my chance now to work with multiple companies and help them out, and I'm a very energetic, passionate guy, so I love going in there and meeting other uh, great people. Cool, managing your personal portfolio. There you go, uh, yeah, it's great stuff. to work with. So how do you decide who to work with? Yeah, you know, it's I've been really fortunate. I've had uh, a lot of just inbound demand. So um, for me, like, a hey, life's too short. I want to work with good people, fun people. You know, um, you know, no one wants to work with jerks or people that are just obsessed with the wrong things. Um, to the extent I love companies that are customer centric. You know, I love if a company knows their NPS score. That's awesome too. That means hey, they've taken the first step down that journey. Uh, I love companies that are mission based. You know, that are truly believe they're making the world better. You know, it's a big TAM. They have an opportunity to influence a lot of people. And then lastly, like for me, I, I like working with companies that have established like, hey, we've got good product market fit. You know, now we want to scale this thing. You know, to, like I view my role as almost like it's gasoline on the fire, right? There's got to be some fire there. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't product market fit, it's hard to like make that fire appear out of nowhere. But if you've got somewhere where you hate, you've got a good feel, this product is working, um, then I'm there to help. And I'll work with companies early, like probably early is like Series A, um, all the way to public, very you know high growing companies. But um, that's what I'm here for. It's just to help increase that growth rate. Yeah. You know, a lot of our uh, listeners are startups. A lot yep. of SendGrid's customers are startups. So what kind of advice do you have for a startup that's, yep. you know, they, they feel like they've got product market fit, yep. right? So they've built a, a solution that they think has opportunity to scale. They need to now start thinking about go-to-market yep. and brand, right? And a lot of times for a lot of startups, that means, oh, i got to hire a sales guy. Right? They, yeah. they don't really, I think, off, they don't realize that they often are putting the car before the horse. Yeah, right? Exactly. So speak about that a little bit. What are, what are yeah. your thoughts about So first off, I would say, like, oh my, what an amazing time to be a startup. I don't think, this is the golden age of innovation. The barriers to entry are so low for coming in. There's great best of breed tools where you can just be awesome at one thing and, and really build an industry out of that. And I think that's awesome. I love like SaaS entrepreneurs, like great time to be involved. I think when you're starting to think about operationalizing, like you've got that product market fit, then it starts to get in some of the tactics. Like how are you able to scale? How are you able to build that machine there? So one of the things I always say is like, A, be customer centric. You know, you want to have an army of people just recommending you word of mouth. But a lot of times the segments, the industries, the verticals you want to get into, you don't have any customers, right? So that's where I really like to think of like, what are the paid marketing tools that are going to allow you to zone in? They're going to allow you very pinpoint. And there's never been better targeting available now. Um, there's been great attribution where you can understand a dollar spent, what is that actual return? You know, know your CAC payback. Um, think about also, you know, that brand and, and having a personality. One of the best edges that a startup has is that a lot of times they're competing against an established, very boring company that is so afraid that they just have no personality, nothing there, right? And, and, I've, and I've always thought it was a fallacy that if you move more up market, you had to be more professional, you couldn't have any personality. And I think we you know, disproved that at Salesforce, at Zendesk, Slack, all these three companies were selling into the enterprises, seven, eight-figure deals. So I think like have a personality, have a brand. Don't have it just be on your corporate website. Infuse it into the product. Right. Um, you know, like unexpectedly delight people. Choose a color palette. Have an editorial voice and tone. 
be deliberate about what that was. At Slack, we were very intentional. It was a very human tone, very relatable. It was funny. Yeah. We had things like going to release notes, and we had a bunch of jokes in there, places you normally wouldn't find little Easter eggs, you know, an inspirational message of the day. You know, just find places where you can unexpectedly delight people. And you're going to have that balance, right? You know, paid is always going to be more expensive. But you know you want to balance it to get into new areas, build a machine, but at the same time make sure you're not alienating your users, your champions, inspire them to go out and tell a hundred more people, and that's going to really ignite your hyper growth. We used to call that a wink and a nod at Target. You can see a little bit, you know, a little fuse a little bit of a personality in there that made you stop and think a little bit. Definitely. Any advice that you'd have for startups beyond that? I mean, when you think about you know scaling a company in today's world yeah obviously the the world has changed slightly it's yeah. not just about growth there's now sure. a desire for a balance between profitability and growth right? yeah yeah you know one of my uh first startups i did right out of college uh, i didn't even know about vcs my life would have been a lot easier because i had no money <laughs> but you know we grew that company and I think there is an operational discipline around every dollar counts. Nothing wrong with being profitable, right? Like, we grew that business, 10 million members, we sold it, we were profitable. I think it creates great operational discipline. I'd probably say one of the biggest um, barriers you'll run into is when you start getting product market fit and you're starting to scale, I'll often see founders don't spend enough time on hiring and scaling. And you literally have to devote 20, 40% of your day to constantly recruiting, constantly interviewing, constantly scaling. You know, and as you said too, it's not just hiring the first sales. You have to think about hiring marketing to help build some of that demand, that interest. So you can go into sales. You have to think about what your model is. Is it high velocity, frictionless? Is it, all right, we're doing a traditional field sales model top down? There's lots of different models. Like, I'm not going to say one works, one doesn't, but I think you have to have the hiring engine behind it. And, and that's absolutely critical. But, you know, the other thing I'd say is, you know, don't be afraid to innovate on go to market. You know, we tried a bunch of different things at Slack. Like, we had this idea of, like, hey, if you stop using Slack, we're going to give you refunds and credits back. You know, and what it really did was it aligned us that our success metrics were our customer success metrics. Right. We don't get paid unless they're actually using the product. And you'd be surprised in software, a lot of people, those models do not align. You buy very expensive software, if you never use it, the company still gets paid, yeah. right? And I think really aligning your success metrics to your customer success metrics, that's great. Perfect alignment, you know, you're really going to be able to grow and succeed in the long run. So, uh, as we close out, are you reading anything interesting right now? Listen to any cool podcasts? What's uh, Oh, man. So, I have uh, long commutes. <laughs> Sometimes when I drive in, I live in beautiful Marin, but if I drive down to the South Bay and uh, San Jose, it's quite a long time. So, I actually listen to about 100 different podcasts, um, various topics. Uh, there's a bunch of great ones in marketing. You know, Marketing Profs is great. I love Econ Talk. Um, I'm a big Chicago Bulls fan, so I listen to about three different Bulls podcasts. Um, but it's awesome. I mean, there's so much great information. Actually, Slack made a podcast. Uh, I listen to that. Um, that's a great top of funnel content marketing tip. You know, don't just be think content marketing is about the written word. It's also right. about videos and audio and content. You know, introducing people to your brand. So um, all, all those are a couple things that uh, I really enjoy. Well, Bill, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you have a great rest of the conference and enjoy Dublin while you're here. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. It's been a great pleasure.